Welcome to WP Tonic, episode 145. Today we're talking with the WP innovator, Lee Jackson. Hey. <laughs> Who are you? Hi, Tell you. us a little bit about you. All right. Well, uh, my name is Lee. I run the WP Innovator podcast, which uh, is a WordPress-based podcast for designers and web developers. And I also run Lee Jackson Dev, where we work with design agencies all around the world. We build the WordPress theme part. So the design agencies do what they do best. We do the geeky stuff, the WordPress code that we love. Um, So that's kind of us in a nutshell. Excellent. And I want to introduce... Uh, my co-host, Jonathan. Who are you? Oh, hi there, folks. I'm the founder of WP Tonic. We're a WordPress maintenance support company. We also do offer services for agencies similar to Lee. If um, they're looking for themes, plugins, um, we can be your trusted partner. Excellent. And I am John Locke. My business is Lockdown Design. I help uh, blue-collar businesses with local SEO, WordPress, and WooCommerce. Uh, jumping right into it, Lee, um, you know, as you stated, you're basically a white label agency for, um, you're an agency for agencies. That's right. Definitely. And, um, you know, tell us a little bit about what is the, you know, right fit agency for you and how do you find those agencies to partner with? Sure. Okay. Well, um, the, the perfect fit for us is an agency that has about five people plus. So these are agencies that are working on a minimum of about £10,000 worth of work. So it's those sorts of bills. It's not these these small kind of one or 2K bills. These are the 10K upwards bills where there's been a whole design process entered into. So we kind of focus on specific areas. So we'll focus on agencies in major cities because they tend to be working on the, the bigger type of projects. And we also like to focus on agencies that have a particular niche um, because those niched agencies tend to charge you know, more of a premium to their clients. So that means there is more budget, not because we're being greedy, but m- more because we just want to try and be paid a premium ourselves so that we can just work on a few really good themes rather than trying to cram a whole load of stuff in at once. So ideal turnover for those sorts of businesses would be about a minimum of £300,000 per year, um, which is with the terrible exchange rate, probably only three hundred and fifty thousand dollars per year. So that's kind of the minimum. No, it's not uh, that entry. bad. Lee. It's <laughs> gone up since Trump said he's going to nuke everybody. Uh, um, hey. uh, right. Sorry. Uh, no politics. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But, um, but 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 so you know, basically, you're working with with the agencies where design is really. Um, their focus and and you're coming Sorry. in and and making your, everything work. That's basically basically it. Exactly. I mean, some of these agencies will have developers on site as well, uh, very often. But again, even those agencies are a good target for us because those developers are frazzled. They're working on tons and tons of projects, so it's great to have the extra resource. And they're also their their attention is always grabbed by other stuff that's going on in the in their business as well. Whereas this is all we do day in day day out, so it's great for them to have us in there as well, either on site or just online, doing code with them or telling them how to do stuff better, because we get to learn the new stuff all the time. No, definitely, and and you know, just for listeners at home, what is it? What is the big advantage for those agencies to bring in someone like you? Is it just to keep their uh, pipeline going, or 
you know, to just have that expertise on board? So, well, I mean, the, the, the kind of area that we tried to solve is if, if anybody listening or, or watching has had the problem where they've tried to get a freelancer through something like Elance or anything like that, it's really hard to find those really, really good freelancers. Um, and when you do, you want to pay them all the money you can possibly pay them and keep them sweet and keep them on side, etc. However, for a lot of people, they do find that they are either having multiple freelancers doing one job or they get, you know, they get so far the freelancer disappears and, and the whole project falls apart. And I'm not saying that all freelancers are like this, but there are definitely freelancers that I think we've all probably experienced that, you know, some sort of failure halfway through the project. So what we've done, because I've been in agencies now for nine years, maybe. I, don't, I know I don't, don't look old enough, obviously, thank you. Um, I'm, I'm sure someone just said that. Um, but uh, yeah, I've been in agencies for nine years, so I've actually got a really good network of really good freelancers that work with me, and I've also got several employees as well. So I guess the advantage for agencies using us is that they know they have got the accountability of an insured, physical, limited, legally binding company with contracts, etc who say we will deliver this WordPress theme based on those designs. You know, we've signed in blood. Feel free to sue us or hit us over the head if we don't deliver, etc. Um, so they've got that, that Waterboarding. Yeah, they can waterboard me if they want to. Um, you know, whatever gets them off, really. And um, oh, I'll keep it PG, sorry. Um, yes, uh, and, and they've got that kind of, um, they've got that kind of uh, reassurance. And then on the flip side, what we've accidentally found that we're doing and shut me up if I keep waffling um, is that clients really like to have me go to the sales meetings now as well so not only have I been coding I'm coding less my team are coding more and I tend to be traveling more to client sites helping them with their sales process being that really geeky guy in the corner who knows all the tech answers to all of the technical questions and reassuring the clients about security or reassuring them that we can deliver this product or taking the product brief, et cetera. So the, that's the other advantage. You know, I can also be on site giving consultancy whilst the company is still developing themes for people. So yeah, that, that, that sounds really great. I, I really, was you really surprised with that element that, that you actually, was that, is that one of the things that, that has surprised you that they yes. want you to go to the meetings? I, yeah, I was actually really surprised how little agencies, not, that, not all agencies, but how little some of the agencies I've worked with actually know about building websites and about the internet, um, So and even about WordPress itself. So me being called in to help them answer questions and give their client the confidence was, was a huge surprise to me. I, I thought people knew a lot more than they do. Mm, that's really surprising. That's interesting, isn't it? Um, it's it's always these things that come up that you never envisioned, isn't it? You know, yeah, exactly. And it's great for us. Great, uh, you know, it's consultancy fees, etc. And it's also good for us because we're involved right at the very front, so we can see all of the opportunities and actually help upsell stuff that our design agency client didn't even realise they could upsell. Which obviously is also going to benefit us in the long run because we're going to build it. Um, but it also benefits their clients. So it's a it's a great thing to be a part of. But, yeah, I did not see that one coming because I just assumed everyone who's building websites out there knows what I know, uh, which they don't. <laughs> well, that's good to know. I mean, but go ahead. No, I go on, John. Uh, okay. But, uh, you know, and one of the things you point out, like, that, that's very interesting to me is the agencies that you partner with, they have the reassurance of, of knowing that they have another uh, 
another agency, another company, as opposed to just having uh, a freelancer or a geek off the street uh, mm-hmm. being entrusted with doing the work. You know, and what is, would you say that the, the processes um, and structure is the big difference between a solo freelancer and a bona fide agency? Hmm. Well, our process would be that we're involved quite early on for the quoting stage where we'll help them put together the brief. And either that will be paid depending on how much work's involved or we will do it some free scoping just simply because we know it's going to be a good project. Um, and then the kind of the way the process would work then is we would then, um, they would do the wireframing, they get that wireframing signed off, they do the designs, etc., And then the designs and the entire product brief will come over to us we'll reverse brief that and then we will build it. So that's our process. I do know that with freelancers that I've had to use in the past, they've not had the ability to take on on board all of that information in one go and be able to then go away for three weeks and then deliver something back. I've had to kind of drip feed to a freelancer what they need to do because they've not understood the whole scope of the project. So I guess the difference and the advantage of using like an agency like us is that We've been involved quite early on. We've got an understanding of the project, and then we can essentially be left alone at the development side to deliver the whole thing in one go because we've got a milestone set or an initial QA where it's going to be an an internal QA between us and our design agency client, and they're going to see where we've got to, et cetera. And they can also have, like, spot checks throughout the process as well so they can see what's going on. So that's how, how we've worked. And, yeah, my experience has been I've had to drip feed quite a lot of things to quite busy freelancers who can't grasp the whole picture in one go and and the reason i find this really intriguing is you know i i do a mix of both my own clients and Mm -hmm. white labeling for other agencies and the reason why i ask that kind of line of questioning is with the agency there seems to be like a different perception than if it's a single person, you know, in informing your current agency, how did you earn that trust to be involved, uh, you know, with the, the talks and the client meetings and those things like early from the start, was that something that you had from day one or was that something that you had to push for or, you know, how, how does that work with, with your partner agencies? So most agencies, so with most agencies, it's probably two or three projects in, you know, when you build it and we deliver, we have more conversations about projects they've got coming up. I drop value bombs galore in those conversations over the phone. And then at that point, I'll also say, hey, do you want me at the meeting to be a part of that, to help? Because I'll be talking about stuff maybe maybe the agency doesn't necessarily understand and they want that safety blanket. So that's how that then starts and then that gets more and more. But there are even some agencies who come in right from the get-go um, and we'll just say that we can come on site, that these are our fees, et cetera, to come on and help you with this brief or help write the product spec or help you with this particular sales meeting. And some people just grab it straight away. Um, usually based, those sorts of clients, though, are usually based on a referral as well. So they've already got that trust or they've not got the trust, but they know that they've been referred by another agency. They know they're going to get, you know, they know we're going to deliver or at least have some hope that we're going to deliver. But oh, yeah, um, I, and I didn't push for it from the very beginning. It just it just happened, you know, within the very first client, within about three projects in, they were wanting me out on site. And that was when I was like, aha, oh, crap, this is something I can actually do for people. I didn't realize here's something else we can monetize. So that's when that happened. 
Yeah. Wasn't even a part of the plan. I just wanted to build WordPress themes. <laughs> excellent. No, that's yeah. excellent. I do you and and I guess this is just like just a quick follow-up question. You know, with some agencies is there a reluctance to um have like people come in like that uh, to the client meetings? Have you ever encountered that? Or is it, are people always just like, no, come in, you know, to the client meetings and help us write this brief? Most people want help writing briefs because most people don't know how to write a good brief. Um, and um, if, if the client doesn't want us on site, it's usually because we've not offered because we already know they've got a tech on site who, or a project manager who's already building up that project. So we've, we've not had an issue yet where anyone said they don't want us yeah, I can't think of anything. So, excellent. No, yeah, you, you find the more prepared agencies don't need that sort of help, and you just get an amazing brief and you can jump on it straight away. Uh, but it's the less prepared agencies you can instantly see they're faltering and worrying about the project. And the minute you offer, they, it's just the relief you hear on their voice, like "Yes, please come down to this meeting. We need we need your help," which is no, nice. Def- <laughs> oh, that's it. It's always nice. It's nice to be uh, needed. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and you get free coffee and tea, and you usually get your lunch paid for as well, which is nice. So, uh, wait, what the hell not? Do you get nice night? Do you get this double chin going on here now as well? It's a bit depressing, but anyway. Yeah, do, you get, do you get ni- nice biscuits? Yeah, yeah. Usually uh, bourbons. You know, you know bourbons. You don't get them out there, do you? No, we don't. Uh, mate, shouldn't have moved, should you? Well, there goes. It was either but, sunshine. It was either sunshine <laughs> or biscuits, and I chose the right. sunshine. Uh, right, um, right uh, um, touche. <laughs> sorry, um, I was really interested in um, everything you just said, but um, that sentence where you said most agencies aren't really that good at writing briefs. Um, can you? Um, broaden that out and why they're not very good and some of the things that they might be able to you know based on your experience why are they not very good and what are some of the things that they might be able to do to improve what that situation cool so before we offend all agencies listening to this you you have brilliant you are are brilliant at writing briefs (laughs) what i found is most of the agencies that we have worked with are unfortunately not as good at writing briefs um, with their client. And a lot of the time, it's not the agency's fault. It is actually the client's inability to explain what it is they want. And uh, because the agencies are working on, it's, a, it's mainly a problem of time, isn't it? So the, the client comes to you that we want a website and we kind of want it to do this and do this and do that and the other. And then the agency has this time issue where they need to, you know, you don't want feast or famine, so you want to keep these projects coming in. So they're trying to, you know, win these projects, get them through. They're replying to quite vague tenders and then getting screwed over uh, once they've got the ten, you know, that, that kind of the project in. They suddenly realize that there's so much more that the client wants, etc. So when I say they're not good at giving, getting briefs, what the, I think what they're not good at doing is that detail part. So they'll read a few paragraphs and not think through what those three paragraphs of content actually means um so you know there might be a paragraph talking about that there is a login area where people can um message each other and uh and uh, this is probably a bad example but if someone thinks oh okay yeah i could probably do a plugin for that or something like that um they then there then might also be some other line as well saying 
that see some information uh, based on their user information. Okay, but what they've not realized or not thought about is that there could be absolutely tons of different um, uh, custom fields against that uh, against all these users. There might be a completely different workflow for like different user roles. There's all sorts of things that have not been asked. And then when the client says, well, I want managers to, you know, the, the quote has been sent out and they said, right, okay, so we need a user role for managers and we need a user role for marketers and we need a user role for suddenly the project scope has just increased significantly and everybody's arguing because, well, we said we need people to be able to log in and then the, the agency's arguing back saying, yeah, but you never said you need all these different role types and then it just becomes a mess. And it's usually because you've got a, a quite a bad brief from their client. The agency then hasn't really had the time or necessarily taken the time to think through and ask questions back to get you know that uh, clarity on those things and then you just get that kind of messy project which then means and i hate seeing this happen but you end up getting a site eventually delivered everybody's stressed and angry at each other and the, their you know that end client hates the agency now and they're never going to work with them again the, glad the site's up and they're going to bitch about that agency and go off somewhere else. You know, that whole process needn't be such a mess. And I'm not saying it happens all the time, but I've definitely seen it quite a lot over the last nine years. You know, that sort of people just not taking a step back to think about what that paragraph of content means uh, with regards to code and what are the questions you probably need to make sure you ask. That was a long-winded answer. There's tons more. No, I, I, I thought that was a, a really fantastic um, landscape you've drawn. And, and um, just to finish off um, a sub-question, what um, what do you do, because I've been in that scenario and I, I totally agreed with everything you've just said, and you mm. learn it by your intelligence and experience that you just... But there have been scenarios where I've had clients not working with agency but with a client with some clients where you start asking very detailed questions and you start to get the a bit of pushback that they say well why do i need to ask why are you asking all these questions i thought you were the professional and you should know you're the expert you're the expert how do you deal with that without a yeah, is it really a red flag, um, or is it um, is there some mythology based on your experience where you can deal with that scenario and explain why it's necessary to ask all these sure. questions? It can be a red flag for definite because um, you, you, if somebody isn't prepared to invest in the brief, uh, some of their own time, etc., so they're going to get what they want. Uh, and all they're really worried about is dollar signs, et cetera. What's the invoice? And you're going to be able to deliver me a clone, clone of Facebook, please. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, that is definitely, a, you know, a red flag. But, but what I tend to do in the user brief um, with the client is instead of asking them about the technicalities, I actually take them through user stories. So I just say, great, this is fantastic. What you want to, do, what you want to build is really, really exciting. So let's just establish who the main users are going to be. You're going to have one person who's logging on the website, so who, sorry, who's accessing the website who just wants to um, sign up for a newsletter. So that's user one. We're going to call him Paul. You've got user two. He's logging. He's going to go onto the website. He's going to register and join your social section. So he's user number two, and we'll tell his story in a minute. And that's you, the client, the administrator, and we're going to tell your story about what you're going to do as well. And then we actually then start flashing. Flashing, fleshing, not flashing, I said, fleshing out those stories. 
And as we flesh out those stories, which are just paragraphs, you know, Paul will uh, type in the web address and the website will load. He will see at the top right-hand side, wherever, um, a button saying, join our um, newsletter. He'll click on that, fill in his email address and press send. It will tell him to check his email. You know, we're, we're just telling a story, but inside of that is pretty much all of the technical spec, you know, that we can further flesh out. And we can we can get the client then to sign off all of those stories. So when the client then says to us, where's the bit where Paul is able to share with all of his friends? Um, and we, we can then look back at that story that we wrote about Paul and say, there is absolutely nothing in the story that says he can hit a button to share with all his friends. That's called a change control. And we need to, uh, to quote you for that and, and maybe build that in. Um, so I find if I do it as a user story, where we're talking about what we're doing is with the client, we're talking about how can we empower the different key users to do what they need to do. We're kind of, it's not tricking them, but we're around about creating a product spec without the client realizing they're creating a product spec. So I'm not saying to the client, what do you want to happen when X and Y and Z ha happens? Um, I'm going to say, what does Paul need to see when he gets to this point and, and what shall we allow him to do? So they're actually part of creating a story, which then essentially becomes your brief. Oh, I, thought that was, that I thought that was great. Um, what do you think, John? Do you think we should go for our break and then come back? Yeah, let's go for a break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to be talking more with Lee Jackson, the WP Innovator. See you after the break. Buying or selling a home in the greater Reno-Tahoe area? I know the best CRS real estate broker, and that's Karen Conrad. And you can find her at karenconrad.com or call directly at 775-527-7021. We're coming back from our break. We're talking more with Lee Jackson of WP Innovator, Lee Jackson Dev. Um, now, one thing I wanted to ask you too, you, you, know, you said right at the outset of the show, You've been involved in agencies nine years. I know you look youthful, and oh. uh, people people uh, will say like that can't be nine years. Uh, you know, <laughs> how how did you first uh, you know start building up this agency? Um, you know, how did how did you first get involved with it? What's the origin story of of Lee Jackson Dev? Okay, well, back when I looked exactly the same as this, um, because I lost my hair when I was eighteen. That's depressing, isn't it? Yeah. I can see a tear in your eye, John. Did this happen to you? No, no. just uh, over the last few years. <laughs> okay, you're all right. So it's just it's just the quality of the image. Okay, so uh, the journey to becoming uh, to this the creation of Lee Jackson Dev that does what it does started around nine years ago, where I actually joined an agency. So it was an existing design agency. I joined as an equal share partner. Um, so I joined. There was two partners already, so I became the third partner. And they were a design agency that tried to build websites through third parties, etc. And they recognized that they wanted to actually build their own digital department. So I got to invest in that business, become part of that business and build that whole digital part of that company. So that was maybe a five-year journey um, of, of being in that agency, seeing how a, a design agency works and then knowing what I know to do and then essentially as building this machine, as it were, of a fully-fledged design agency, a full-service design agency, something that was pretending to also be digital, actually became a design and digital full-service agency. So uh, after about five years, the problem there was is that I, I laid out the groundwork, we got the team and everything involved, 
there was an awful lot less for me to do when I was having to do lots of boring stuff like administration, you know, and writing stuff and sending off invoices and all the stuff I utterly hate. Um, so essentially at that point, I was getting this hunger to start something new because I'm definitely someone who likes to be creative. So it was about three or four years ago. Uh, it was four years ago we started the transition of me moving into my own agency where I could do what I'd loved doing so much at that agency, which was helping people offer a digital service. And essentially I could then do all the bits I loved for lots of agencies around the world so that I'm not having to do all the boring stuff that I hate doing, like invoicing and all that stuff. I've got loads of other people to, get to do all that for me. And I get to do this creative part and empower lots of agencies now instead of just the one to become full service agencies without them having to go through that long five-year process and in, you know invest in capital and have capital and, and do all that other stuff that's involved so that's kind of the journey uh, so i'm still involved in that agency um but obviously a lot less now because i'm involved with a lot of other agencies as well doing this packaged uh, this package service no definitely the story. it's a great story um <laughs> you know as as growing your agency you know when you broke off on your own uh, you know, when you first start, you know, like a smaller agency, a lot of time the, the, the founder or the founders are doing everything, you know, when it's a couple of people, you know, one or two people. And as you grow your role, would, what would you say your role becomes more of? Is it more sales? Uh, is it more, you know, winning business and then you're delegating out? You know, how does that evolution of an agency look like? What does it look like? So originally it started off with just me. and Well, it was actually me and, and my colleague Karthik. Uh, so we went out alone. Karthik was doing most of the PHP backend code. I was doing most of the front end code because it was just an easy split. Um, and I was coding on into the middle of the night. <laughs> it was awful. I was doing so many hours uh, just to get things going. Um, and then uh, over time, you know, I've now got staff and I've got people different freelancers who are on contracts as well around the world um, who we can turn off on and on on certain projects. So nowadays I would say what went from 99% me coding has gone down to about a, I'd say 40% of time I actually get to do the, the code part. But then I'd say 30% of the time I get to do the other part I love, which is sitting in front of people and helping them solve problems. Um, which also leads to sales anyway. And then there's also 20% of my time, which is a little bit of boring stuff I don't like doing that I've got to do because if there's laws and you have to do some, some like your VAT return, there's all sorts of crappy accounting stuff I hate, but I have to do. And also a little bit of that is also sales as well, but the more old-fashioned salesy sort of stuff. Um, also with my podcast, ooh, this is, I'm, getting, I'm getting confused with maths now. I also do a lot of podcasting in that 30% that I mentioned because that's my way of talking with people and helping people solve problems as well. So there's the podcasting and going out on site visits. That's that side. And it all kind of, I guess you can lump all that in as sales, can't you? So 40% code and then the rest of the time I'm sales and a bit of admin. No, definitely. You know, I never thought of an answer for that. I I was thinking that one out loud. (laughs) That's cool. Uh, but definitely, uh, you know, as, as you're growing, like, how do you know, like who to hire? How do you know when it's time to hire someone and, and what does that hiring process look like? Okay. Um, you may or may not have heard this from anyone before, but my hiring process is to find someone who cannot code for toffee. 
and then teach them how to code. So uh, uh, other than existing freelancers, so existing freelance contractors, I'm kind of lucky that I don't have to find anyone new because I've been in the industry nine years. I already know a lot of established people and the hiring process for anyone else means that I get them to find somebody that they would trust to also join the team. And then we try them on basic projects and then try them on more and more complicated things. So that's the process there. But for hiring people in my UK office, I tend to, to hire people who have got pretty much zero knowledge other than a real hunger to want to get into web development. They've maybe knocked together some websites a little bit, done maybe a bit of HTML, a bit of CSS, maybe, maybe not. But they're just really desperately hungry to find out how to build websites. So like my recent, um, Larissa joined a year, a year and a half ago now, and she came, she only knew how to create websites on Blogger, which is not very hard. There's no HTML involved at all. But now she's building WordPress themes, creating loops, hooks, everything, you know, and is able to sit and do the work on her own because... She's had this wealth of knowledge plowed into her over, uh, you know, over um, one and a half years, and uh, and she can go alone now. She's doing loads of self-teaching. I guess what I look for in people is somebody who's hungry, somebody who has self-taught themselves to do something. So you know they're self-motivated and, and they've got an interest in things, and also someone who likes Marvel over DC. So that's the three ah. criteria. Ah, no, 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 it's the other way. <laughs> it's crucial, it's crucial, isn't it? Uh, Except um, for the live-action movies. Exactly. Yeah, well, uh, that's that's what I'm talking about. The live-action movies are freaking amazing okay. on Marvel. No, no, Marvel's got it all over DC there. Yeah. So, um, so, so. so I'd like to ask Lee... Um, uh, one of our uh, when we were doing our pre-show chat um, you, you said you saw a lot of agencies making um, uh, understandable link to the things we've said previously during our interview around time multiple projects the need to get multiple projects in house to pay for the actual bills of the business all the pressures that agency faces on a day-to-day basis but you said you see a lot of mistakes in um basic project management um would you like to talk a little bit about what, what some of the biggest things that you see most regularly uh well a lot of it stems from that briefing process right from the get-go if you've not had a good briefing process then it's pretty much going to affect everything else. Uh, so th- obviously the first mistake we've already touched on is making sure there is a good brief. Uh, second mistake we tend to find is that no one person is responsible for the project and for seeing that project end to end. So you tend to have a lot of cooks and no one's particularly in charge and it can get very messy. So that's tends to be where we there's a, a bit of extra cost that we end up sinking into our, you know, we end up eating that cost ourselves to keep the project going so that we can deliver the project where I end up being the guy who jumps on calls, gets different people involved in that call. So I can make sure that we keep pushing things through. That's definitely not ideal. So not having a project manager who is that one point of reference for everybody and having a weekly call to say, right, you know, Lee, you were meant to deliver this for this date, and Jeff, you were meant to do this, and John, you were meant to do that. You know, where are we? What's the update? Why haven't you delivered? What's the new date? You know, all of that sort of stuff. It's just a case of everybody's doing a bit of everything, and nobody necessarily knows what and when it's going to be finished, etc. Oh, you you definitely so, need a good cat herd, don't you? Uh, right. 
And uh, it's always amazing when things start to go wrong how um, a lot of people just disappear, don't they? Exactly. <laughs> Another mistake might be as well uh, is the idea of... Well, there's a, there's a couple of other things. that With regards to the finances, at some agencies, and it boggles my mind, don't necessarily take much money or enough money up front so that then they try and put the pressure on to speed up the process of the project for the sake of getting another payment in. So obviously, if, if you can get something like a 50% deposit or at least a, a valuable enough deposit that's going to last you a few months or help you survive a few months to the next payment, that's that's one of the things we've seen uh, that can be very difficult. And then another thing will be, I, I guess it's with that project manager side as well, um, it's, it's not laziness, it's just a lack of time, but kind of hoping that you can give your design assets and a few paragraphs to a developer and hope that he'll just build it, yeah? Uh, that's that's quite a common mistake, not having an actual handover call. So I always insist on a design handover call and a scope or, a, you know, a, a, product, a project scope handover call as well. So I have a call with a designer who designed that theme, you know, in, in Photoshop or whatever tool they use, usually Photoshop, and they tell me how everything's going to work uh, what they expect something to happen. Like, well, what's going to happen on this slider? Do you want that to fade? All right, let's make a note. This slider is going to fade. Um, you know, what's going to happen when we click on that button? Um, and they'll say, right, okay, look at layer four. And that's going to, that's the drop down menu. Okay, great. Let's note this down, etc. You know, we're getting a full handover of that. And also we'll then have a conversation, usually with the designer half the time, you know, on just confirming the final product spec, you know, of what it is that we're going to be building, etc. So that's, again, you know, common mistake. Oh, here are all the files we'll see in three weeks, get the site finished. Why is this not finished? Why does that not do that? Why is this not doing that? You know, oh my gosh. You know, I could, well, there's a few anyway for you. Yeah, I, I actually, in the process, I actually find Zoom fantastic because I actually recalled all the meetings. And then, yeah. um, I tell, obviously, for legal reasons, you, you've got to get their agreement. I they know oh, that you're recording but then I, I do a transcript um, and then we base it but we have the recordings as well um, other thing um, in my experience I don't know if you agree with this um, underbidding is um, is one of the main reasons why a lot of projects go pear shape um, is endemic in the industry to some extent um, underbidding and I would imagine that's one of the areas based on your experience that you can really help can't you because have you come across a lot of projects where the price point you've literally almost had to laugh and say you know this ain't gonna work <laughs> yes um, well underbidding is a, is a very big problem again it goes back to that whole briefing process if that briefing process has not been you know taken into consideration and they've not thought the process through they're more than likely going to underbid. Whenever I quote for anything, I always add a massive contingency on there as well if I've not got enough information. Um, but with regards to a, a situation where somebody has unfortunately um, underbid, as it were, I can usually help save that process by something called a statement of work. So they'll have given a, a brief based in a, usually a tender document. I don't know what if that's called the same in America, whether they have tenders. Yeah, okay, great. So you go through the tender process, you've got a brief, you've made a whole lot of assumptions. Uh, yeah, okay, it's going to be that much. You've sent that over, you've won it. Brilliant. Okay, right, let's get into the nitty-gritty now. 
it's perfectly reasonable for you to now insist on a statement of work that is agreed between you and the client saying, right, we had your needs listed on the tender. On the tender, some things on that were listed as absolutely needed. Some were listed as would be nice. It would like would be really good if these could be. And then some were like not essential. All right, so let's talk about these and let's now create a statement of work for you where we talk about all the things that we're going to develop within the scope of the budget that we've all agreed. We've agreed 50 grand. You've given a list as part of this tender of all the things that you would like to see. Let's now list them in order of priority. Let's get all the ones that, you know, all the main ones into this project, into this budget, etc. Um, and then split this out into sprints as well. Uh, and then we've got a statement of work for each one of those sprints that makes sure that we've covered all of the main things that are needed. And then if there are a few things that drop off at the end, i.e. the client has run out of budget for, that's not necessarily a major issue because we know and we've agreed during the conversations that um, you know these things are not necessarily important for this particular phase. These can be a phase two, a phase three, a phase four, whatever sort of phase. And, and it is understood that they will be budgeted for separately and quoted on separately, etc. So usually that's how we can save an issue, a problem where someone's received quite a vague brief, um, done 50 grand to it, and then realized someone needs Facebook. And then we're like, right, okay, let's talk about this. And what are the main features you need? And what doesn't need to happen yet? You know, what's a blocker? Right, let's get, you know, a blocker to delivering a website would be a major feature. And then what's not a blocker, what's something that's a nice to have that can go over in that pile and we'll We'll do whatever of those we can um, into this budget, but it's not necessarily, um, you know, not, it's not necessarily uh, going to happen. Um, and we tend to find as well that most clients in a tender process understand that although they have some, you know, a document that says all the things that they would absolutely love to happen, most good people understand that you cannot get the earth based on a scanty document and a guest budget in from someone else. So they are open to that statement of work process, partly because a lot of people don't necessarily know how to visualize what they want anyway. They've got these general ideas. Well, a lot of tenders, yeah. so, you know, um, you, I'm trying to find the right words here, Lee. Um, the actual pro the actual process is a discovery process mm -hmm. in some ways exactly. anyway, isn't it? Um, yep. The actual process of building something that's reasonably complicated is going to be a discovery process on its own. Um, exactly. What's your position on advising the agencies that you're working with around paid discovery? Do you think it's something that any agency that's dealing with a reasonably complicated proposal or bids should really push for is paid discovery? Um, I do. I do a lot of paid discovery. Um, so we tend to, it's, so the idea is, uh, it's harder on tenders because people expect to be able to issue out a tender and you ask questions, or you can ask questions of a particular person or group of people, but you still have to prepare your tender and they expect you, if you have meetings or need to ask questions that you're not going to be charging for that because you essentially are all pitching on this, aren't you? And what you put forward, hopefully you'll win the tender. Um, However, in a lot of processes, we'll have a client that comes to the agency saying, we want to develop a new portal for our clients and, and we needed to do an awful lot of stuff and we needed to integrate with X and Y and Z. At that point, um, that's where most of our clients will introduce a paid discovery 
stage they're saying okay th this is really exciting we understand you've got some budget you know that's great but we're going to need to do some consultancy on site to help you unpack what it is you want and need um, and help you create the brief to allow us to spend some or all of that budget on exactly what you want you know depending and that seems to be taken quite well from most businesses that i've worked with and again it's because we're dealing with clients who are working on we're working on the spectrum of most builds are a minimum of 10 grand or higher. I'm not saying we get 10 grand or higher necessarily. That'd be wonderful, uh, you know, because we're just the theme, they were the code part. But the agencies themselves are working on 10 grand or higher web projects. Therefore, they tend to be working with bigger budget clients who are a team of people who understand that they need to pay for consultancy to understand, you know, to be able to put together what it is they want. The flip side is I've never successfully sold any paid discovery to a one or two man band who runs a local business. They they want to, they want you to give your time, your your energy for completely free and they can't necessarily pay the sorts of money either to actually get the website built either. So that's you know that's a, a, a common problem for us. That's why they would not be our target audience because we just can't um, we, we couldn't maintain that multiple sites at that sort of level. Um, yeah, <coughs> I totally agree with you again. But also, um, there's a comment, uh, see if you agree with it. I think the tendering and system um, endemically leads to underbidding, really. Totally. Um, it's, a, it's a total falsehood anyway. And I, would, oh, I can't stand it. <laughs> and it leads to rush, um, rush proposals, lack of detail, and ridiculous. Um, the whole process is... Seems logical uh, to some extent, but it just leads to total underbidding and disastrous projects normally. This does feel like a hug moment. Do, do, do you need a hug? Are you all right? I always need a hug, Lou. <laughs> I'm unloved, um, I, I think we've covered some really interesting stuff. Um, I think we better call it a day for the podcast and go to our bonus content. What do you think, John? I think it's time for bonus content. So I want to remind everyone, if you're getting value from this episode, and this episode is very valuable, um, be sure to go to iTunes. Leave us a detailed review. We just got a review today. Uh, we're trying to get to triple digits. So anything, that, uh, you know, leave us a review. We'd totally appreciate it. I want to thank you to our listeners and our viewers. Our uh, numbers are definitely going up. We're getting more and more people uh, you know, watching the show, listening to the podcast. So I just want to say thank you. We appreciate it. Um, be sure to check out our Saturday show in episode uh, 146, I think it is. Yes. We're going to be talking about the, the our favorite tools for running a web design business, you know, productivity, uh, organization, project management, all those things. So be sure to check that out. And so, uh, Lee, how do we get a hold of you? Where do we find you? All right, so you can find me over at leejacksondev.com. That is my main website and also where the podcast is. That's the WP Innovator Podcast, where you can have me in your ears. Uh, there's 52 episodes uh, that you can enjoy. That's back episodes as well as 31 October episodes that we did for Halloween, which are really quite cheesy but full of good advice. So be sure to check those out. I live on Facebook, so go. Uh, I'll have to send you my Facebook link, whatever, but... The best way to get me is leejacksondev.com forward slash group, and you'll be sent to my Facebook group where you can connect with me on there, and I'd love to be your friend as well. 
because I love having friends all around the world. And then Twitter is Lee Jackson Dev. Again, I live on Twitter as well, and I'm nowhere else. Twitter, Facebook, um, that's it. Economy of social media, definitely. I love there it. Jonathan, how do we get a hold of you? Oh, yeah, but before that, hopefully Lee's going to be joining us for the Saturday show, are you not? I will be, yes. Yeah, yes. so we'll be learning all about his, pro- his um, tools that he and his um, team utilize. Um, how to get a hold of me? It's quite easy. Um, either email me at jonathan at wp-tonic.com or my Twitter. I'm normally on the Twitter. Um, I'm going to try and do more Facebook, really. Um, um, we're going to do more stuff on there as well, probably. Um, they are the main ways to get hold of me, John. Excellent. And you can get a hold of me at my website, which is lockdowndesign.com you can follow me on twitter lockdown underscore and you can find me on my facebook page uh, which is just slash lockdown design for the wp tonic i'm saying adios and we'll see you on the website for the bonus content bye Bye -bye.